Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may, may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Thanks, Julian. Well, uh, good morning, and uh, thank you for your, your uh, very kind, if a bit embarrassing, birthday wishes. Um, it's great to, to be with you, and uh, very thankful to God for 50 years of life, um, many of which has include being part of um, Grace Anglican Churches, and uh, it's a great joy and privilege and a joint privilege to open God's Word as we continue our little series through the, uh, this summer period, looking at, um, at a couple of the, the, the letters tucked away towards the end of the New Testament. And because they're kind of tucked away towards the end of the New Testament, they can tend to be a little bit overlooked, um, but we're looking to, uh, to look over them rather than overlook them, if, if you know what I mean, um, over these few weeks. So uh, let's get into three, John. But before I do, let me lead us in prayer again. Father God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you give us insight and understanding. Father, please give us ears to hear, minds to, to think, to understand, and wills ready to put your word into practice. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, fellow uh, followers of Christ, we, um, we know that we're meant to encourage one another, right? Like We know that we're meant to encourage one another to keep uh, following Jesus uh, one of the reasons that we come together, one of the, the, the primary reasons we come for church is that we would encourage one another and spur one another on, uh, as the scriptures call us to do. So um, you, many of you would know the, this verse from Hebrews 10.24, which says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's uh, what we're about as we, um, we gather for church. Uh, sometimes just turning up is actually a great encouragement to others. I don't know if you've considered that, but uh, the, uh, the ministry of just being here says to others, this matters. Following Jesus matters. It says, you and me following Jesus together matters. 
So that's, a, that's one way that we can encourage one another. But of course, we can, uh, we can encourage one another more directly as we, we ask each other how we're going as followers of Jesus. Uh, one shorthand way of doing that is to ask, how's your walk? I don't know if, you've, uh, if anyone's ever asked you that. How's your walk? How's your walk with Jesus going? Uh, who's had someone ask them that? Or who's asked someone, is this, is this a, yeah, there's a few hands sort of shown. It, it might seem a little bit obscure, yeah. Uh, but walking is actually a, a metaphor for living life. And it's one that's common in the scriptures. Let me give you a few examples. So in, um, in uh, one, uh, sorry, John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Or John writes in 1 John 1, verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Or Paul says in Ephesians 1, uh, and this is the ESV translation, if you were, and you were dead in the tre- trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, etc. A few verses on in uh, 2 verse 10, he writes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Or last one over in Ephesians 5 verse 1, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how you walk it's a way of talking about how you're living out your life as a follower of Christ. So how's your walk going? I wonder how you'd answer that this morning, later on, over morning tea if someone asks, How's your walk? It's a very open-ended question. And it's kind of good because it is so open-ended. Maybe you'd answer that by reflecting on your Bible reading and prayer habits or your personal godliness or... Maybe situations that you're facing in life and how you're navigating those as a Christian. Maybe things you're encouraged by or challenged by in God's word. There's many different aspects to to our walk, how we move through life. The Apostle John wrote this this little letter recorded in our Bibles as 3 John. And it's concerned with walking in the truth. Uh, in particular, he's, John, as he writes this, is concerned that the recipient of his letter, that he walks in the truth and continues to walk in the truth. So how's our walk going? Are we walking in the truth? What does that mean? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, I hope that we'll be able to dig into this and, and see something of what it means to walk in the truth through these 14 verses in this little book tucked away towards the end of the New Testament because there's some important things to teach us. Now, in one sense, it's a pretty simple message. It's a message of encouragement, uh, an encouragement to continue walking, to keep walking in the truth. And so verse 1, we've got, um, oops, sorry, go back. We've got the elder uh, who is the apostle John and he writes to his friend Gaius, literally to, his, uh, to the, the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now we might think, like, okay, who's this guy, Gaius? Um, you read through the elsewhere in the New Testament, there's, um, by my count, four 
people who have had the name Gaius and it's hard to pin down exactly which one of them John might be referring to here. We can't really know and it's made harder because by the fact that Gaius was actually a very common name in those days and so we don't really know much about this guy apart from what is revealed here in this letter which of course means it doesn't really matter. We don't need to know more about him than what's revealed here. If we did, God would make that, uh, that clear to us. But John writes to his dear friend or beloved Gaius. And four times he refers to him in that way. So verse 1, verse 2, verse 5 and verse 11. He is dear to, to John. Uh, in verse 4, John refers to him as one of his children. He is so dear to him. And John wants his dear friend Gaius to, to go well in his walk. And so verse 2, he prays. He prays for that. He says, verse 2, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Now, his soul is going well, thanks to, to the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus that Gaius knows, that Gaius trusts. And John prays that his, his health and his well-being may also go well. I think there's a good little lesson here about prayer. Now, it's, it's good and right to pray that others may enjoy good health, that, that, that things may go well for them in life. That's good. That's, that's right. But on top of that is the even more important thing to pray, that their, their spiritual life, their soul, their relationship with God, that that would go well. And in uh, Gaius' case, his soul is going well. How do we know that? Well, verse 3 tells us that he's faithful to the truth and continues to walk in it. Um, the NIV um, translation drops one little word at the beginning of verse 3. It drops the word for or because. You can see in other translations like the ESV that, that link verse 3 back to verse 2. So John knows that the Gaius' soul is going well because, verse 3, 4, uh, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. So Gaius is, is faithful to the truth. He's trusting the gospel of Jesus. He's continuing to, to walk in it. That is, his trust in the truth is leading to action, to, to walking, so to speak, to, to an outworking of the truth. Because being a Christian is not just a kind of static thing. It's not a theoretical intellectual position that you hold that has no sort of bearing on your life and how you live. No, it's a truth that you, that you walk in, that shapes what you value, what you do, what you, what you uh, say, what you think, how, the decisions you make, how you respond to those around you. And the fact that, that Gaius and and others known to John walk in the truth. Well, that's a matter of enormous joy for John. And so he says, verse 3, 4, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. In verse 4 he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John delights in the, the progress of his spiritual children. He writes to, him, to encourage Gaius to continue in that walk. I think it's a great model and example to us to have this, this joy, this commitment, this love 
that our brothers and sisters in Christ would continue in the walk. But what exactly is this, this walking in the truth? Now, as I said, uh, walking is a kind of all-encompassing metaphor for, for the life of a follower of Jesus. But there's, there is one thing in particular here that, that, that John highlights that Gaius is doing. And that is that Gaius is loving strangers. What do I mean? Well, look there at verse 5. He says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you, that they have told the church about your love. Now, what's going on here is that it appears that some Christian brothers and sisters who were unknown to Gaius, they're strangers, they've come to his church and he's welcomed them. He's loved them. He's showed real hospitality to them. And they've then shared this with the church and, and John has heard about this. And so he writes to, to commend Gaius to, for his faithfulness and, and, and to encourage him to keep going to continue to be hospitable. So he says halfway through verse 6, please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. I can clean a few more details here. It seems that these brothers and sisters, uh, they weren't just kind of fellow Christians on a holiday, travelling around. They went out for the sake of the name. They were travelling missionaries. And they, they rightly didn't receive help from, from pagans. They were dependent on the support of fellow Christians, such as Gaius. And so John says, verse 8, We ought, therefore, to show hospitality or support for such people so that we may work together for the truth. Now, I think there's a few lessons here for us in, in our walk. Uh, firstly, this, this highlights the importance of being hospitable. I think being hospitable is an aspect of, of the Christian life which is, is actually quite countercultural. Our culture is increasingly individualistic and increasingly concerned with and focused on the self, on me, and, and we live in our little boxes and with minimal contact with others. It was a few years back, um, but I remember reading a, an article that, that uh, pointed out that the average number of visitors to an Australian household in, in a year in a year's period, outside of sort of immediate family, was three. The average household has three visitors to its house uh, each year. I thought that as Christians, this is, uh, we're, we're quite countercultural at this point. Yet we're called to be hospitable. Now, what does that mean? I think sometimes we can think it means, well, you know, having friends over for a, for a hangout, for a Dinner party, having a you know, nice time. Often we, we think of that as hospitality, having people over for a meal. Now, don't get me wrong, that's a really good thing to do and I, I encourage that and I'd love for a, a, this culture and practice with our church that we're having one another over for meals and sharing life and food and relationship together. But biblical hospitality goes beyond that. It's loving strangers. Now, these people were... Strangers to Gaius. Um, here's a little Greek lesson. The Greek word for, for stranger is xenos, from which we get the word xenophobia, uh, a fear of strangers, of foreigners, of people who are different. Just a fancy word for racism, really. But we're not to, to fear strangers. As followers of Jesus, we're to, to love strangers. Uh, in fact, the Greek word for hospitality is 
philo, philozenia, literally love of strangers. That's the origin of the word for hospitality. And this is something the scriptures call us to um, a number of times. So Hebrews 12 verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13 verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. Uh, 1 Peter 4 verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Notice there, I think if hospitality was about having friends over for a dinner party, I don't think we'd need to be told to do it without grumbling. Being hospitable is an important part of walking in the truth. Uh, I think second lesson here, uh, for our walk, this teaches us that it's, it's inappropriate to expect pagans, those who don't follow Christ, inappropriate to expect them to support Christian mission. Sometimes non-Christian people might value some aspects of Christian mission and activity and so may, may give money towards it, but we shouldn't expect that they would. And instead, the flip side is that it's actually the responsibility, that it's our responsibility uh, to support Christian mission. That should fall to, to Christians. So, for example, the, the work of CMS through the, the ministry of our mission partners, the McCorkendales, um, they, they won't be supported by the non-Christian world. They rely on fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, such as us, for support. And, we, and as we support them and people like them, we become, notice how, how John puts it, co-workers together in the truth. With them, working together for the truth. And notice that John says we ought, therefore, to do this. I wonder if sometimes we can sort of think of supporting mission as a kind of optional extra, a nice thing to do, but, you know, take it or leave it. John says we ought, therefore, to show hospitality, support to such people so that we may work together for the truth. It's an important aspect of walking in the truth is that we work together for the truth as we support Christian mission, whether locally or further afield. So John wrote to Gaius, commending him for what he's doing, saying, Keep going, encouraging him in his walk in the truth, as he expressed in his hospitality to these brothers and sisters. He urges him to keep going, send them on, a, on their way, which I think means provide for their material needs as, as they head off to the next place. Now, perhaps John's particularly concerned to encourage Gaius because he knows other influences that will be pushing him in a different direction and so enter stage right, Diotrephes. If, uh, if Gaius was a lover of strangers, Diotrephes is a lover of self. Look there at verse 9. John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. Uh, John's written to the church. Um, possibly he's written to encourage them to welcome the travelling missionaries. So we don't know exactly because we don't have the letter that he wrote. Maybe Diotrephes destroyed it, but you know that's speculation. What we are told is Diotrephes did not welcome or receive or acknowledge John and his companions. Diotrephes loved to be first. It sounds like he's uh, in a position of, of leadership or influence in the church, and he has a, a rather overinflated view of his, of his own importance. 
such that he rejects the authority of the Apostle John. And so John says, verse 10, So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. I've got to say, this is a pretty ugly situation. I mean, Diotrephes has, has rejected John, despite John's authority as an apostle of Jesus. He was commissioned by Jesus himself. He's rejected John. He's, re- he's spreading malicious nonsense about John. He's refusing to welcome other believers, presumably the same ones that Gaius is welcoming. And Diotrephes goes the extra step of stopping anyone else from doing so, and, and even to the point of expelling them. From the church if they do this is one power hungry narcissistic bully of course churches today never suffer such problems do they wait no if only that was the case Uh, sadly it's it's all too common that a church leader will value their, their own position their own influence their own authority as more important than listening to others even listening to the apostolic authority of the scriptures clinging to their own importance, their own office, being a lover of being first. Sadly, it leads to all sorts of unloving behaviour, failing to welcome and care for others, even punishing people who just want to do the right thing. I expect in a group this size, there would be some who have suffered under the the leadership of, of ungodly church leaders like Diotrephes. And if that's you, you know the pain of what, uh, of what that can be. May God spare us from such a situation. But if we do encounter a diotrophies, what should be done? Well, they should be called on their behaviour, which sounds kind of simple, doesn't it? But it's complex and painful. Uh, John intends to call attention, he says, to what diotrophies is doing, verse 10, and to do so before the church and John writes to Gaius to make sure he's fully aware of what's going on the darkness of sin and selfishness needs to be combated with the light of the truth and transparency it's not something to just kind of smooth over and hope that things will get better or smooth over by saying oh look at all the good things that are happening though no there's a a time where we actually need to call out people's bad behavior and bring the truth of the situation to light which is never pleasant, it's never straightforward. It's usually met with varying degrees of conflict and opposition. But John intends to do this regarding Diotrephes when he comes. Meanwhile, what's Gaius to do? He's to press on. He's to walk in the truth. He's to imitate what is good. Look there at verse 11. John writes, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good? Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Now, notice there the importance of imitating. Uh, I reckon in our world and culture uh, that really prizes individuality and being authentic, so-called being authentic, uh, the idea of, of imitating someone is kind of looked down upon. You know, be yourself, be authentic, don't just imitate others, which... Uh, ironically can lead to the um, yeah the great irony of fashion that says you know you've got to express your own individuality and by dressing in your own particular way such that you end up looking pretty much exactly like 
everyone else around you. Um, our, our culture is pretty fickle at this point. But imitating isn't actually a bad thing. Um, in fact, imitating is kind of inevitable. We all imitate someone or something. The question is what or who do we imitate? And the scriptures say imitating is a good thing. In fact, they often call upon us to, do, to be imitators. So Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15, even, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you didn't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Verse 16, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, he continues, I've sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. The Corinthians were to imitate Paul. Likewise, the Thessalonians, he says, for you yourself know how you ought to follow our example. Or the writer to the Hebrews says, Hebrews 13, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We all will imitate something or someone. John says to Gaius, do not imitate what is evil. Maybe with the, the self-loving diotrophies in mind. But imitate what is good. Do and walk in what is good. And maybe at this point to give Gaius a, a, you know, a concrete example of, of what that looks like, of, of someone to, to imitate. He says, verse 12, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. So Demetrius' life, unlike Diotrephes, it's self-evidently in line with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. He's an example to follow, says John. One of the great gifts that, that God gives us in our walk is others that we can look to, that we can walk with. Which, of course, is why it's, um, it's really important, why it's so important that we, that we take hold of that, that we walk together. It's why this time of year, as, as Clem said before, growth groups are getting up and getting organised. It's so important and valuable to, to commit to a growth group, to be part of a group and to... Uh, to, to go along so that we, could, we can be there together with one another, that we can help one another, encourage one another, be encouraged by one another, be a model to each other, help one another to imitate what is good. Being with one another in our walk, doing that together is so important and so valuable. As John says in the, these closing verses of his letter, he, uh, he says verse, that he's got much to say, but doesn't want to do so with pen and ink. But verse 14, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Now, walking in the truth means walking and talking face to face with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's no satisfactory alternative or substitute for doing that face to face. I think the last couple of years, you know, COVID lockdowns and they gave rise to, you know, things like live streams and online ways of doing things which were, were necessary and uh, valuable things when we weren't able to gather together. And they can, still can have benefit at times, you know, when we can't get to church, for example, because we're sick or something like that. But they're no substitute for gathering face-to-face. That's fairly obvious, I would think. We need to walk together with one another. 
So to sum up, how's your walk? Most importantly, are you walking in the truth? Have you discovered the truth that is in Jesus and put your trust in him? If you haven't, I hope that you will do that. I'd encourage you to read one of the accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and discover the truth that is found in Jesus. Nothing is more important. And for those of you who have started walking in the truth with Jesus, how's your walk? I hope you're encouraged by these few verses in 3 John to, to, to pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ for their, yes, for their health and well-being, but most of all for their spiritual well-being, for their souls. Hope you're encouraged to, to invest with joy in the continuing walk of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope you're encouraged to, to strive to be truly hospitable to others, even fellow Christian strangers. You know, reach out to the newcomer. Reach out to, the, to those in your church who you don't know yet. I hope you're encouraged to, to walk in the truth by working together for the truth as you support the work of Christian mission locally and throughout the world. I hope you're encouraged to imitate what is good as you look to the good example of others and as you be a good example for others as we walk together in the truth. How can we continue to, to walk in the truth today, this week, in the year ahead? I reckon that would be something be good to, ref, to reflect on, to think about, to pray about, and then to get walking. How about we pray and ask God to help us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that is found in Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, help us to continue to, to walk in the truth, to, to, to live it out, to allow the truth of the gospel to shape how we live. Father, we confess we don't always do that as we ought. We thank you for your grace and mercy to us in Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you that you call us back to you. And Father, we thank you that, that we don't walk this journey alone, that you are with us by your spirit. And Father, that you, we thank you that you give us fellow travellers. Please help us to, to walk together, to show true hospitality to each other, to pray for each other, to, to work together for the truth. And Father, strengthen us, we pray, to continue walking in the truth. Keep us doing that this day, this week, this year, and the years ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.